1: Sandy Rios coming to you from Purcell Farms in, where am I? I'm in Alabama, and this is the most beautiful retreat center I think I've ever been to in my entire life, really. It is just breathtakingly beautiful. If you haven't heard of it, you have to find, you just look it up, Purcell Farms. It's the most beautiful grounds. They've got golfing and uh, skeet shooting and I don't even know what else because I've, I've been talking to people instead of playing but we actually have a an audience AFA supporters from all over the country have come to this retreat for this weekend and I've asked some of them they just happen to be passing by now to kind of uh, join me and we're gonna do the show together this morning but let, let's hear from you guys let them hear you yeah. <laughs> hey you so uh, just real quick uh, just from where you are, shout out your first name and where you're from. We'll start here. And Phoenix, Arizona. Louder, louder! You got to shout. Amy, Amy. From
0: Iowa. Amy from Mississippi. Carol from Mississippi. Let's do a
1: do-over.
2: And Phoenix, Arizona.
1: Okay. Phoenix. Penny from Baton Rouge. Okay, shout it, shout it. Oh, honey, you got to do it too. Bruce from Florida. <laughs> Help, louder than that, Joanne. Joanne from Mississippi. All right. Cindy
0: from Texas.
1: And? Connie from North Carolina. And? Kirkland from Houston. All right, all right. So that's part of our audience. And this Hello. is fun. Uh, I was just, uh, so those of you on the air will have to imagine that you know, we're sitting here in this beautiful lobby, and if you've ever been to a remote broadcast, some of you may or may not be, we have these banners so that, you know, it's got to, like in my case, it's it's like, I don't know, eight feet by four wide, and it's a big picture of me. It's like a very big face of Sandy Rios. And so when I was in D.C. last week, on the top of Fox, uh, it's, it was to my left, that's how people identify the show, and they identify me, and I'm interviewing, and I believe I was interviewing the Vice President of Peru. And the, the wind started to blow, and the banner just decided to fall down on top of me, and it just kept coming down. I'm trying to have a serious conversation with the vice president of Peru, and Sandy Rios is falling on Sandy Rios. <laughs> he had a great sense of humor, and I'm trying to push it away like that and talk to him. Uh, but some funny things happen when you're doing live. Uh, that reminds me, when I was a singer one time, I remember I was I used to play the piano, and I at this one particular song, I... I was at a banquet of some sort, and I had a, a piano that had a low top. It wasn't a big high grand. It was low, like a spinet. And I was playing it and looking at the audience, and I'm playing away, and the front legs broke. And the piano keyboard fell on my lap, and I had to finish the song with the piano on my lap um, and singing. Yeah, so that's what that reminded me of. I just thought I would share. See, I never get to tell these things on the air, so today was the day. Well, there's a piece of news that really struck me because uh, this happened in the last 24 hours. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has become, I think, uh, the nation's sweetheart a bit. I think for conservatives, he certainly has been that. We have some friends that just came back from uh, spending the summer in Montana, and they were telling us how the people in the campground, where they have a a permanent, kind of semi-permanent summer home, just... uh, He's really given people hope. And I think as we watch him and his courage, we are, we are drawn to him. And I think all of us know that because he's taking such a stand on so many issues that the long knives, shall we say, are out for him. And I find myself wondering, you know, what are they going to do to him? What are they going to do to him? And then the news broke just yesterday that no one... Uh, tangible or human is doing anything to them but now his wife has been diagnosed with breast cancer and uh... i just uh... that makes me so sad i think they have three little children she's a beautiful woman beautiful and i remember her uh... from the campaign because they did this very unique commercial it was just hilarious it was so clever this is when he was campaigning for governor of florida and uh, this was one of my favorite commercials, and I just want to play it for you. You'll hear her talking, his beautiful, poised wife. I think, did I say? I think she was in media herself. I don't know. I don't have it in front of me, but I believe she was in news. And so she starts it, and then it, it pans to him, and he's holding their new, new baby. And so uh, here's the commercial. It's only 30 seconds long. Let's listen. Everyone knows my husband, Ron DeSantis, is endorsed by President Trump. He's also an amazing dad. Ron loves playing with the kids.
0: Build the wall.
1: He reads stories.
0: Then Mr. Trump said, you're fired. I love that part.
1: He's teaching Madison to talk.
0: Make America great again.
1: People say Ron's all Trump, but he is so much more.
0: Big League. So good.
1: I just thought you should know.
0: Ron DeSantis for Governor.
1: All right. So isn't that, that is just the sweetest thing. I wish you could see it. We'll put it on our Facebook page and you will be able to see it. I want you to, I want to read to you just as soon as I, as soon as I open a box that starts, it starts screaming at me. So I have to make sure I catch it. But this is his statement. He says, I'm saddened to report um, that the the Florida's esteemed first lady and my beloved wife has been diagnosed with breast cancer. As the mother of three young children, Casey is the centerpiece of our family and has made an impact on the lives of countless Floridians through her initiatives as First Lady. As she faces the most difficult test of her life, she will have not only my unwavering support, but the support of our entire family, as well as the prayers and well wishes from Floridians across our state. Casey is a true fighter, and she will never, never, never give up. That from Governor DeSantis, so I just wanted to share that with you all. We need to be praying for him and his wife, uh, Casey. There is a, there's a piece I wanted to play for you, but it's just a little bit long. Maybe I'll just play a little bit of it. This is Dan Abrams. This is changing the subject. This is COVID, the thing we talk about so often. But Dan Abrams did a piece where he juxtaposed CNN's broadcast about COVID with uh, in, uh, with uh, Foxes. And the ba- the bottom line, the premise is they were re- broadcasting at the exact same moment and they were saying the exact opposite. And so he gives a taste of that. Let's listen. Here it is.
2: Time now for our Mediite moments where we check in on the day's bias, buzz and the bull in the world of cable news and beyond. The vaccine mandates remain a divisive issue in the country, but you would hope the impact of the mandates might be a fairly straightforward issue where A news network would be able to provide us with the facts on how and whether they're working. Sadly, it apparently depends on which network you're watching. Let's take a look at what CNN was reporting at precisely 721 Thursday night.
0: Tonight vaccine mandates are working and causing a jump in vaccinations for healthcare workers and others. The New York Times reports that one California hospital saw a 97% compliance rate with as many as 800 workers getting their shot due
3: to a mandate.
2: Well that's great. The mandates are working. So let's flip over to Fox News at the exact same time, 7:21 p.m. Hundreds of hospital workers and police officers are now being fired. Or
0: resigning over refusal to take a vaccine and to add insult to injury if that's possible hospitals are already facing staffing shortages because of the pandemic so when will the
2: mandate madness end wait people are getting fired for not getting vaccinated that's not good so let's flip back to cnn on that issue at the exact same time so Dr. Gottlieb, I mean,
0: sure, some people have been fired for not complying. I understand that. But these numbers are, they're factual. These are the numbers. Uh, The mandates have increased vaccinations. They, they, They just simply have. So do you think we should see more of them?
2: Well, look, there's no question that they're working to increase the vaccination rates. So that's good. Let's look back to Fox to make sure we're on the same page here. Uh, I'm stunned that they are cracking down
0: on the people we once called heroes, the medical profession, by saying get vaccinated by this week or you're fired. And the answer is most people have been vaccinated. Is it necessary to threaten the American
2: people with these mandates? As we go back to CNN, I want to assure you we did not set up this back and forth happening at exactly the same time. Look, I think the federal government's well within their prerogative to mandate vaccination among the federal workforce. I think mandating vaccine among healthcare workers also makes a lot of sense because it's a function of protecting the people that they're caring for. So it's generally good that people are getting vaccinated, but some think the mandate is heavy-handed, right? But at least both are having civil conversations about a nuanced issue. No, this is disgusting. There's no need for these totalitarian tactics. Nurses, teachers, and others who've put their lives on the line for the last year and a half. I'm telling you, tyranny has no bounds, and you're looking at it right now. It is absolutely disgusting. And we wonder why we're so divided as a nation. Speaking of health, this isn't healthy for anyone. All right. That's it. We're out of time.
1: So that's that's Dan Abrams. And the bottom line is he's he's juxtaposing... What CNN is saying about uh, COVID and what Fox is saying at the very same time. He talks about the vaccine mandates CNN says are working. They're working. And Fox is saying people are quitting. People are losing their jobs. It's not working. And then uh, 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 Fox is saying that they're cracking down on our heroes, those those people that served in the hospitals all those months, you know, saving lives, and now if they won't get vaccinated, they're being fired, and on and on goes back and forth. And so he says no wonder we – we're look, living in two different worlds right now because people are listening to diametrically opposed information. And, of course, for those of you that listen to this show, you know that that's why we are, we are committed to the truth. And I, I can't, even if the truth contradicts our hunches, our inclinations, uh, we have to report what's true. And that brings me to some personal stuff this morning. I, I just got word um, this morning, actually, that someone that I've known for a long time has died of COVID. And here's the way it went down. Um, she got very sick with COVID, and they would not give her medication. Does that sound familiar? Go home and, you know, take an aspirin. And if you start feeling worse, go to the hospital. This is in Virginia. Go to the hospital. So she goes to the hospital, and she gets worse. And they give her, what, remdesivir? I'm not sure, I, but I'm guessing because that's what all hospitals are supposed to give, even though now we know remdesivir causes kidney failure. So hospitals uh, and they can 't give um, uh, Ivec- Iver- ivermectin because heaven forbid they should give you know a horse pill now we know ivermectin is a pulitzer prize winning medication that was called a miracle drug when the doctor or the the researcher uh, f- discovered the compound, but suddenly now. In modern medicine, according to the CDA and the FDA, it's a horse pill, and people who take it are stupid. Never the mind that we have more than 30 very powerful studies to show it has incredible effect. We have India, where the cases of COVID have been cut down by 80% because they've given the population ivermectin, and that's just one country out of many. But it's stupid, according to FDA and CDC, and only idiots take ivermectin. So they did not give my friend ivermectin, and she died this morning. So, you think i 'm upset about this? Yes, I am. She was a healthy woman who worked full time. There was no reason for her to die, and this is happening all over the country and i, I you know I tried to intercede actually in her case i 'm not connected enough to intercede personally, but I did try to get information, but I guess it was just too late and I know this is happening. I have people contacting me all the time. Who am I? Who am I that I should be the one that has to tell medical personnel? what they should be doing. I think my husband and I were talking this morning, honestly, we think doctors should be charged with murder. That sounds extreme, but I honestly believe that's where we are. They're trying to protect their own hides. They're scared to hold their heads up, and they would rather follow the party line and let people die. And that is the opposite of what they're sworn to do. And so um, we have a mess on our hands in this country, and that's why it's really important. Uh, that we know what's true and what isn't true. So thank you for telling people about what is true. You've shared the information that we've shared and tried to spread it far and wide. I'd like to think we have saved some lives. I know we have. And we're going to continue to try to do that. All right, well, coming up next, we have a very special guest. He's here speaking at this conference. His name is Stephen McDowell. He's an expert on worldview, and he's really wonderful. So you'll want to stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. And thank you to our studio audience who's been sitting here patiently. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. There was Abe Hamilton. Hey, Abe. He's dancing by. It's very cute, actually. Okay, we'll be back in just a second.
0: Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
3: I want to start by saying I do not regret either of my abortions. I do regret my experience at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. The most traumatic part of my experience was one of those centers and how I was treated there, and I hope that they all shut down because they exist to manipulate and prey on vulnerable pregnant people. And I just wanted to acknowledge a lot of people are being left out of this conversation today because, as we know, people get pregnant and not just women. But I hear people over and over and over again say women get pregnant. But that's excluding people that should be a part of this conversation.
1: So we live in a confused country, I think. If uh, We ha- we are here at Purcell Farms in Sylacauga, Alabama, as I've told you. And we actually have a studio audience today. Can we just see you guys at <laughs> So glad to have you. So glad to have you. It's just uh, the most beautiful place. And so we're, um, we're taping our show today. You're going to hear it live. This will be Tuesday morning by the time you hear it. Uh, but that, that clip reminded me of what a confused world we live in. This girl is at the, the abortion march in Washington on Saturday, and she's saying that um, vul- uh, she can't stand what Texas has done because it's affecting vulnerable pregnant people vulnerable pregnant people. And it just isn't women who get pregnant, you know, other people get pregnant too. And that's the world in which we live. And that's what why Stephen McDowell, my next guest, plays such an important role uh, in kind of sorting out our thinking in this very complex and really decadent world. Stephen McDowell is the co-founder and president of the Providence Foundation, which is a Christian educational organization Their mission is to train uh, and and network leaders of education, business, and politics to transform the culture for Christ. We have a lot of work to do. Stephen, I'm thinking... That is a massive task. We've just gone backwards from my perspective in the last few years. It's just accelerated, I think, a business going woke and all of that. Let me just finish the introduction, then I want, then I want to hear from you. Uh, he's been doing this for over 30 years, uh, maybe more than that About now. About 40 This now. is an old yeah. bio, right?
3: Okay. <laughs> About 40 years. I'm getting older. <laughs> well,
1: we'll go with the old bio, and you'll feel a lot younger. Yeah. So, um He's assisted in writing political documents. He's advised different parties on different things. He's started Christian uh, schools and um, established biblical worldview training centers. There's so much to say about what Stephen has done, uh, and he's written a number of books. How many now?
3: About 40, probably. I've Just lost 40? Yeah. You better
1: hurry and catch up a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, Stephen, it's really a pleasure to meet you. I, I If th- those of you that uh, have attended these um, spiritual heritage tours— with Tim Wildman. That happened twice a year?
3: Twice a year. For over 20 years, we've been doing that.
1: Yeah, so Stephen is the is the teacher on those trips. And, and Tim, I know what he does. <laughs> I haven't been on it, but he's so funny. Yeah, he, he's I, by the, now, he could probably give the tour, though, right? The, mm, the history part.
3: Perhaps.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I know you guys are a great team, and you've been doing it for a long time. So, um, Stephen, I just was thinking, as we were... As I was prepping for you and looking at your background, what you do is what I try to do every day. I just don't have the the training that you have. I just have the the life experience and the experience on radio for years. But applying biblical truth to all spheres of life is very complicated. So I'm going to jump right in with one, okay? Because we actually got into this discussion in my Sunday school class yesterday morning. We are experiencing right now uh, our southern border is completely gone. We have an invasion of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, and probably some 80,000 uh, to come. They're coming from all over the world. We hear from, about Haiti. but And then we also have a, a, an invasion, really, of Afghanis, who were not properly inv- uh, vetted uh, because of the, the way, or maybe on purpose, the way the Biden administration uh, exited us out of Afghanistan. So there's a lot of resentment and a lot of anger for all the reasons that we know. So when we think about those people coming over the border, many of whom are just trying to make a better life, some are criminals. There's a whole, you know, so there's both of those things. Uh, And then we're going to see them in our culture, and they're going to be in our schools. They're going to be taking resources. Our tax dollars are going to be burdened. What is the Christian worldview about how we should respond to what's happening in our border?
3: Well, well, first, Sandy, I want to just say thanks for having me on your show. It's great to meet you. Uh, you know, the good news is the Bible has the solution to every problem that we face. So consider immigration. Certainly, the Bible tells us the attitude we need to have toward those that want to seek a better life, and that's to be concerned for them, to love them. But the Bible also gives us. Uh, the way that we should do that. You know, in ancient Israel, there were uh, people engrafted into the covenant nation, but one thing they had to do is to agree to the covenant. They had to agree to here are the laws by which we govern our society. And if you don't agree to those, you can't be a part of the covenant group. So as that applies to the United States today, Anybody who wants to come in and become a part of this exceptional nation, they need to agree to the covenant, to the Constitution, to the Declaration, which presupposes they know what it says. Which also presupposes there's an orderly way in which they are admitted, where they, we know you understand the principles upon which this nation is built, and so that you give your consent to them. And so when you have open borders where people just fly in, you can't uh, fulfill that, that very important obligation. So yes, we want to be concerned for them, but we also need to see there's an orderly fashion in which you need to be incorporated in the nation. And if that doesn't occur, then we are violating that first of biblical standards.
1: So when it comes to the law and order, our God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. And so we know that, we think, I think we know because we know his nature, that he would not approve of this kind of chaos. But here's the, here's the tricky part. Here are these people coming across, they are poor compared to us, we have everything. They are needy. So a lot of our Catholic brethren, Lutheran general, that, it's the Christian social services who have, uh, by the way, made millions and millions of dollars from tax money, us helping, helping, the people when they get across uh, to get you know do whatever they need to do social services tied up attorneys everything, but they would say that our compassion as Christians we should be grateful this is our chance to minister to them to feed them to help the hungry I mean I was hungry and you gave me no food I was you know all, the the Matthew passage that's what they would say back to us Stephen so what about that component of it
3: well obviously. Everybody in the world would love to live in the, this land of America. We're the most free and prosperous nation ever in history. Uh, we, we've been losing some of that as we've rejected God. But why, this is why tens of millions of people have flocked to the shores of the United States over the years to live here. They're not flocking to other countries. They want to come here. So we can't let all eight billion people come to America. What we can do is take the principles upon which this nation was founded and infuse them into the life of their nations. I've had the opportunity to travel to over 40 countries to teach people this is how you can bring liberty to your nation. If you infuse these principles into the foundation of your nation, it will bring great liberty, justice, virtue, prosperity. So the best thing we can do, if we're really concerned for the well-being of people of other nations, let's go and introduce to them principles that will make their nation you know, heaven on earth, which is our, our mission. So if we're not doing that, then we're just... We're, you know, we're expressing yeah, a, a shallow concept of what God has called us to do because Jesus said we're to disciple the nations. And he told us how, by teaching them all he commanded. So if we're not actively going and discipling the nations, we are actually taking the easy road out. I'll just let them come in and, and, and we'll educate them, we'll feed them and everything else. It's really a, a cop-out is what I would say.
1: What I, see, what I see with this, because I've had a lot of years to think about this, is that those, that mindset is happy to have them come in and let the government take care of them. Those individuals, I've asked them. We've put them on the spot. So how many are you going to take in your house? And how many are you going to insure and feed and clothe? in per- perpetuity, how many of their children are you going to send to college, you know, and that that's a different thing, it's the government, it's uh, tax tax dollars, there's something perverse, we've gotten into this perverse thing where it's, um, we expect our government, it's like a, it's like this thing that is bottomless pockets, it's like when I was a kid, I, or my son used to do this with me. He'd say, Mommy, I'd, I'd say, Honey, we don't have any money. He'd say, Well, just go to the bank, Mommy, you know, uh, because it's this idea that uh, we have a bank that never ends. So, yeah, well, you,
3: you know, the Bible teaches us that the cure for poverty is productivity. It's not a handout. A lot of people have the mentality, if I just have more money, more gold and silver, my problems are solved. And in the 20th century, the solution for the secularist West primarily, with good intention. We're going to help the developing countries, so let's pour a big pile of money, trillions of dollars, that'll help them. It hasn't helped them at all because we have violated the commandment of God, a handout is not the solution. Giving people skills and knowledge and understanding how they can be productive and produce needed goods or services, that is what is going to elevate individuals and nations out of poverty. So any solution that we adhere to has to incorporate this concept of productivity. That's why socialism violates biblical truth because it's based upon I'll take from the productive and give to the unproductive, then we'll all be even. But, of course, we end up all being even, having nothing.
1: (laughs) Let's come back to that, because I want us to talk about that. But in this moment, still, these friends of ours here and us and you and me have to figure out when a bus of Afghanis comes into our town and is unloaded, and as uh, their kids are hungry, they put them in public school, they don't speak English. Uh, and our social, we live in a town of 10,000, and it has so many dollars for food pantry, for helping. And now you've got this huge pool of people. How do we feel about that, Stephen? What's the biblical view of our personal feeling about that?
3: Well, of course, first, we need, we need to work on a couple of different levels. We need to work, well, let's transform the whole policy our government has taken to just ship buttloads of people in. We've talked about that earlier. Let's, let's let them in systematically. Okay, we find ourselves in a situation where they're coming by the busloads, so what do we do? Well, first, the principles still apply. You, we want to get these people so they can be productive. We want to, if they need to be taught skills and knowledge, then we give them those skills and knowledge. You know that the Bible teaches there's two categories of poor. There's the oppressed poor, who are poor because of tyrannical governments or maybe some situation that keeps them from laboring and being productive. And then there's the sluggardly poor, those who just lay around and want a handout. And the way we deal with those are different. The oppressed, we set free. We set free by removing bad government, bad laws. Remove uh, uh, the, uh, you know, if people are keeping them from working or other things. Uh, the the sluggardly we kick them in the rear. So the sluggardly is the, the, Paul's admonition: if you don't work, you don't, you don't eat. eat. Applies to <laughs> them because one a lot. yeah, hunger is a great motivation. <laughs> Just
1: family too, right? <laughs> so
3: see, the oppressed would work if only they could. The sluggardly could work if only they would. And so whatever we do, we have to recognize, all right, if you're sluggardly not going to work, if that's Americans or anybody who's an immigrant, then we have to remove the laws that will subsidize their evil. When you just give handouts and subsidize sluggards, you're subsidizing evil. You're not solving the problem. You're making it worse. So we need to work repress that. We can't just give them handouts. We'll let them glean the fields and work and labor for, as a short-term means of providing food if necessary, but have a long-term uh, a vision for them. Uh, those. So the principles would apply. We, Yes, my heart, I'm going to help make you productive we're going to remove any crippling handouts in, of the entitlement nation because if we allow that to come, then you are, you are going to live a life of slavery. You're going to be enslaved to the government who promises you, I'm going to give you stuff and you don't have to do anything, which of course is the root false promise of socialism.
1: So these are 30,000-foot thoughts that we need to apply, but it's, it's really, I think, a challenge for people to handle their anger and resentment, uh, because we—it's a part of a larger pattern—I think the way I—the tr- way I think of this, Stephen, right or wrong—I just wanted—is that I think of it at two tracks. When it comes to what should be done, and law and order, I believe we should insist on our laws being adhered to. That we should stop what's happening. That we should not vote for people who are encouraging this. That we should not. Um, help, uh, we should not at least help lawbreakers break law. But I think that personally, as followers of Jesus, we must be kind and compassionate to individual immigrants that come our way, whether they're, um, you know, who are um, not criminals trying to break into our house, but people that are just here and they, they don't mean any harm. But because of the circumstances, they've been brought here, some of them, they don't understand What's just happened to them? Some of them are lawbreakers, but I think we we need to let the law of uh, of uh, compassion govern our individual interactions with them, and even in generosity too, if if we need to be. But but still, don't expedite their illegal status. Don't help them. I had a I mentioned this to someone in another conversation. I knew of someone who was illegal that was in my sphere of influence. They called me, what should we do? And I said, they've got to own up. They have to go back. They have to confess it. We can't, I'm not going to help them hide their status. Uh, that's wrong, and that's what we can't do. All right, that's my opinion about it, Stephen. I agree When we come with back, you. let's talk about uh, socialism and, and uh, capitalism because that's a whole other thing that our kids are really confused about and some adults too, so let's discuss it. We are here at, uh, where are we? We are at uh, Purcell Farms in uh, Sillicauga, Alabama, and our studio audience is here with us, and it's so much fun to see your faces. We'll be right back after this. Sadie Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
0: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the Morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the Morning on American Family Radio.
3: We need
0: today to raise a debt limit. why the Republicans in Congress, what they're doing today is so reckless and dangerous in my view. Raising the debt limit comes down to paying what we already owe, what has already been acquired, not anything new. It starts with the simple truth. The United States is a nation that pays its bills and always has. From its inception, we have never defaulted. What we pay for, so it keeps us a great nation. Social Security benefits for seniors salaries for brave service members and benefits for veterans and other financial obligations for our people and for our nation. We're able to meet these obligations based on the revenue we receive from taxes and based on our ability to borrow what, when needed. And in that case, we're able to borrow because we always pay our debt. We always pay what we owe. We've never failed. That's America. That's who we are. That's what's called for. It's called full faith and credit of the United States. It's rock solid. It's the best in the world. But here's the deal. There's a cap on what we can borrow called the debt limit. And only Congress can raise or lower that debt limit. So let me be really clear. This is really important to know. Raising the debt limit is about paying off our old debts. There's nothing to do with any new spending being considered. It has nothing to do with my plan for infrastructure are building back better. Zero. Zero. Both of which I might add are paid for.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I wish we had a laugh track. I wish you guys could have heard that. We are <laughs> live at Purcell Farms, and we do have a, a wonderful group of people standing around who have come from all over the country uh, to be with uh, the staff of AFA and our special guests like Stephen McDowell, and uh, it's just great to have them here in person. And if you guys could have heard, that was your president talking about how America has never defaulted on our debt. We never have done that. And any money that he wants to use to raise the debt limit is money that was spent before. It's our old debt. And, um, and uh, what he's getting ready to do with infrastructure and all of this, uh, the, the spending bill, which is, I think, approaching $6 trillion now, is paid for. So uh, that's what he just said, and I'm going to have Stephen comment on that. Uh, Stephen McDowell, if you just tuned in, is the co-founder and president of Providence Foundation. And Providence Foundation is a Christian educational organization who trains a network of leaders uh, in education and business and politics to try to transform our very complicated and sad culture right now uh, for Jesus and his principles. And if you'd like to know more about it, because Stephen's got these great books, like America's Providential History... The Ten Commandments in modern society, ruling over the earth, uh, watchmen on the wall, pastors equipping Christians for their civil duty, the Bible, America's source of law and liberty. You said, Stephen, you've given that to many... Uh, t-
3: 22 different state legislatures where our goal is to reach all 7,383 state legislators in all 50 states. We've reached 22 and we have sponsors. We've had legislators who will endorse it and, and to their colleagues say, you need the ideas in this book.
1: So Stephen is the one who uh, accompanies Tim Wildman. He does the te- Stephen does the teaching on the spiritual heritage tours of D.C. twice a year, and they've been doing that for several years. I know over twenty. Over yep. twenty, yeah. So, uh, and so, if you want to know more about what they're doing at Providence Foundation, it's ProvidenceFoundation.com, dot com, dot com. All right. So, Stephen, we have to talk about money. I think uh, for whatever reason. At least in my background, evangelical Christians have, I think, felt that was money, except from theft, except for theft, money was like uh, neutral, like budgets, debt, uh, systems of uh, government. Uh, I mean, the economic systems of government were just like um, neutral in terms of morality. But we're learning some stuff, aren't we?
3: Well, the Bible is full of ideas on economics and business. It might, it might teach more about economics than other subject. And as we listen to our current president speak, he reflects the idea of really all of our government leaders in essence, at least the majority since I've been alive and I'm getting older all the time. And that is that they, they, they haven't understood uh, that it's dishonest and corrupt and evil to spend money that you don't have.
1: Why? Why is that dishonest
3: and corrupt? Well, because, one, you're stealing. You're stealing from future generations what does not belong to you. And, of course, we all know the command that you shall not steal. Uh, You know, Isaiah pointed out in Isaiah one twenty-two. he was speaking to the corrupt nation of Israel and says, Your silver has become dross. Now, dross is what corrupt governments would do when they wanted more money, they'd melt down coins, pour in cheap metal and make more coins. It was a false expansion of the money supply. And we've been doing that, not just in America, but throughout the world by printing new money and just putting some more blips on the screen. That's how we can be nearly $28 trillion, $30 trillion in debt is because for the last 60, 70 years, our government has decided it's easier just to create new money and spend it than to tax the people because if we tax them...
1: it's unpopular. You, we might they, lose our election. Exactly. Yeah. So we've
3: figured out a way how yeah. to do this. That's how we can continue to spend. And that violates the biblical principle of honesty and money and banking. And the, the Bible tells us that the borrower servant to the lender. This is why God tells us as individuals, don't live beyond your means, and the principle applies to the government. Don't spend more money than you have, because the result will be big problems. And we have the problems. We have inflation. We have re- It really redistributes wealth. When you When you borrow money and inflate the money, you're taking from the productive by stealing his future purchasing power from all the capital he's accumulated through a lot of work and productivity, and you're distributing it to those who haven't produced. So without even knowing it, this has been occurring and is occurring now and will continue to occur as long as we have unrighteous rulers ruling.
1: All right, but Stephen, there are a lot of people who would say, yes, but... We have citizens who've had a real, uh, they've had a real struggle. They've had a disadvantage, and it it all goes down to race. White Americans have had the advantage of being free. Uh, They have a work history. Their families worked. They accumulated wealth and property, and so they, they have a leg up, whereas black Americans started out as slaves and then into uh, several decades, uh, did not were not able to get, be gainfully employed. They had menial jobs, so they're behind. So it's fair then that white Americans should, as hard as they're working, should have a lot of their income removed and given in order to let black Americans catch up. What's the biblical principle on that?
3: Well every race and people have come from some kind of slavery in the past. You know, my name's McDowell, I'm Scottish, and way back the Picts were wild, crazy people. They were so crazy the Romans couldn't conquer them. they built a big wall to keep them out. But over time, as the Gospel went in and transformed their thinking and their action, they were given the environment where they could be productive, and and uh, and prosper, but it, it's a gradual thing. So it's right that here in America, our Christian ideas, incorporating the Declaration and Constitution, as they were applied, helped to eliminate slavery, elevate women, and provide. Uh, equal standing before God and, and the uh, ability to labor and be productive for all people, including those that were formerly uh, uh, slaves. And so those ideas conquered, and it's our responsibility to provide an environment where anybody can labor hard, Acquire property, get an idea to create wealth, provide a needed good or service for the benefit of their, or their fellow man, to have a free market where they can offer the product for sale at a price they choose and people can come and buy it. So this is what we need to do today. Okay, do you have the opportunity to labor? Everybody, if you, uh, let's make sure that's the case, okay, so you can be, be creative and be productive and offer your goods and services. We can't go continue to go back, where are we going to go? You know, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was murdered uh, by the Native Americans, slaughtered in, in an unjust way. Do I demand reparations for them for unlawfully taking the life of my ancestor? No, we, we, we can't live that way. Uh, but. If they were to do it today, then there is civil government to, you know, to bring about that act of justice. So we just want to make the market free and fair for everybody. And if that's the case, then that's the best thing that we can do to help elevate people who have less so that they can have more.
1: So the, immor- the immorality in that situation was when there was a system of slavery where people could not be free. And they could never have the same opportunities of starting businesses and getting ahead and, and gaining from the fruit of their labor, which is, reminds me of why our founding fathers came to this country in part, is because they were indentured to kings and lords, and it was the same thing. And it was a system that did not give equal opportunity. And that's, that's the key, isn't yeah, it not? It's exactly. like equal opportunity. You know, equal, not equal outcomes. Not everybody works the same. Yes. Yeah, some but, people work hard. Some people don't.
3: And you should benefit, Regardless of color. You should benefit mm-hmm. from the fruit of your labor, as Paul writes. The plowman ought to plow in hope of receiving the harvest. You know, there, there are three fundamental principles that form the foundation of what you could call biblical capitalism or biblical economics. Those three things are private property rights the right to own material property. Uh, two is individual enterprise. That's the concept If I should benefit from the fruit of my labor. Uh, these are both biblical ideas, the Bible is full of that. And the third is the free market economy. The right to take those things I create, a good or service, and offer them uh, for trade, if you will, for sale. So those three components, we need to make sure that they're in place. And socialism messes up every one of those. And so where socialism has invaded uh, America, we see our property rights diminishing. We see government controlling and regulating and taxing and uh, all kinds of taxes. We see the market hindered and government intervention in the market propping up some businesses and others. And we see the fruit of our productivity hindered by graduated income tax. You know, if I'm going to work harder but be taxed more, what motivation am I going to have to work harder? So if we understand those three things, then there are policies that our government can and should implement based upon those underlying principles.
1: Stephen, let's pretend like, and this would be a really big pretend, I'm 21. (laughs) I like pretending. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm kidding. But if I were 21, let's say I'm 21, I just graduated from Georgetown and I'm smart, and I had economics courses, and I, or University of Chicago, how about that? I graduated because that's my hometown. I just graduated from the University of Chicago. I'm an economics major, and I think socialism is terrific, and I can't wait. I think Joe Biden's plan and all the people around him of helping people, paying for college, this is great stuff. I can't get out, wait to get out and teach it at some university where I'm going to get a position. What would you say to me? Where would you start?
3: Well, one, I would say, let's take a a look, a satellite image of the Korean Peninsula at night. So a satellite image. North Korea is completely dark. South Korea is lit up with light. So so my response would be, socialism is so great you can see it from space. (laughs) Because North Korea is the product of a socialist government. Same is true of Venezuela. You know, In 1999, Hugo Chavez was elected president of Venezuela with the promise vote for me and I will give you free stuff. Hey, that sounds great. Let's vote. Majority of Christians voted for him too. Well, you can give out other people's stuff for a while, but after a while you run out of things. So he decided, he went on TV in 1992. He announced to the people, he said, this land is not yours. It belongs to the government. And he proceeded to confiscate nationalize businesses and oil and confiscate things because he needed more money because he ran out of money to give away and and his policies after he died have been carried on by Maduro and so under socialism we have a modern-day perfect example before uh, Chavez Venezuela was the most uh, was one of the top uh, productive wealthy nations in in the world, the most in Latin America. Now it is uh one of the poorest, the second poorest in the Western hemisphere. Seventy seven percent of the people are starving. The average person has lost over twenty pounds of weight because they can't get enough yeah, food. Can't get
1: medicine, eat. there's murder in the streets. It's just That's horrible social that is a great example. Stephen you just written a book on this. Tell us quickly what it is.
3: It's Steward it's Stewart in the earth a biblical view of economics is going to be out later
1: this year. Okay, excellent. All right, so it's providencefoundation.com uh, for more of Stephen's books and more about where he is and how he can come and uh, speak to your group or, or whatever. Uh, and they do great work. And so we're we're happy to be partners with Providence Foundation. Stephen McDowell, thank you thank so you, much. Sandy. And thank you studio audience for your patience. We'll be back uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.